Sometimes we uh, uh, go through studies. This study has been a lot about limitless living. We looked at limitless faith, wisdom. Today we're looking at grace. Lord willing, if we're around next week, we'll look at limitless love. But sometimes, you know, we act like we get things that we don't really get. Uh, we we want to act like we know something that we don't really know. Uh, it's and like we got it. Uh, I'm a country boy, so I don't know if you know this, but country boys laugh more than everybody else because we laugh three times at a joke. We laugh the first time when you tell it to us. We laugh the second time when you explain it to us. And then we laugh the third time much later when we actually get it. <laughs> so sometimes you act like, you know, you get things you don't really get. Uh, if you tell a legalist uh, about grace, you get several different reactions. First, he'll probably interrupt you. Because he knows all about grace better than you do. And he fears your liberal views on grace. Second... Uh, who do you think you are trying to tell him about grace when you don't really get it anyway? And then third, he'll probably take over the conversation and tell it rightly, not the way you're telling it, stressing that it's really about works that save us. And that thing about the cross thing really doesn't matter that much. That wasn't funny, was it? But it's too close to being true. Some object to referring to grace as limitless. Even though we just sang it a minute ago, said it was infinite, right? In our song. How can grace be limitless if some are lost? You know, honestly, I'm not sure I have an answer to that, but I'll give you a couple of illustrations that might answer that. Let's suppose that you were living alone next to a big lake, giant lake, up in the mountains. And mountain streams from every side flow down and feed that mountain freshwater lake. If you're alone and you have that lake, you will never run out of water. You will have enough water forever. But you know what? If you refuse to drink, you will die. So you can have an abundance, something that goes on and on, and yet it not be proficient for you. Space, for example, above your head, they tell us is limitless. I don't know if they know that, but maybe there's a brick wall out there somewhere. But they tell us it's limitless, right? You, you go up, you keep going up. But if I never see it, I never experience it, is it limitless to me? Hmm. So God's nature is limitless, whether we accept that or not. In fact, every quality of God has a limitless nature to it because God is in fact limitless. We can't put a boundary on God. We can't put him in a box. So if God has the quality of grace, he has a limitless quality of grace. Grace is infinite. Refusing it, it's still infinite. Just because you refuse it does not change his quality. He, he still has infinite grace. And so when man sinned, it did not create grace in him. He always had grace. He was always the God of grace. It just got an opportunity to be expressed. It's, it's very similar to when Jesus was tempted. 
When Jesus was tempted of the devil, he didn't suddenly become perfect. He didn't suddenly become sinless. He was always sinless and he was always perfect. But by displaying his ability to resist sin, he just proved it to the rest of us. So a quality can exist that we don't know of. And suddenly we think because we now know of it, it didn't always exist. But God's grace has always existed. So we want to look at, oh, going in the wrong direction. We want to look at a couple of scriptures here. That we, and this is an important truth. And, and we're going to do a lot of reading today. So if you don't like reading, you don't like thinking too much, this is going to be terrible for you. But uh, we're not saved by works. Because if we are saved by works, we're saved because God owes it to us. It is a debt. It is therefore a reward. And we go to our reward because we earned it. That's not the teachings of Scripture at all. In Romans chapter 4, uh, 2 through 13, it's great text. We're not going to read all that. Verse 4 says, To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. You see that? Verse 5 says, To him who does not work, but believes on his situation... His faith is accounted for righteousness. He hasn't done anything, but he believes. And because he truly believes, his faith is accounted for righteousness. That's what that's teaching, whether it makes you comfortable or not. I'm not here to make you comfortable. I'm here to teach the Bible this morning. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21 says, If righteousness comes through the law, then why in the world did Jesus die on the cross? It's a waste. He shouldn't have done. Jesus died in vain. He didn't make a difference about it. If you were already saved because you were good enough, didn't need to come. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, verse 8, By grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. Then he says it's the gift of God. Verse 9 says, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody's going to get in heaven and say, praise me, Lord, because I was so good. It's not going to happen. In Titus 3 and verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. This is His doing, not ours. That's a critical teaching in the Scriptures. If you don't get that teaching, then you go away thinking that somehow you've got to be good enough to go to church. Somehow you've got to be good enough to be saved. Somehow you've got to be good enough to be baptized. Somehow you've got to be good enough to, to, to be a Christian. None of that's true. We all come here, quite literally, in a mess. We all go that way. But now I want to talk about this concept. This is a really important concept, and you really need to get it. Long, long time ago. How long ago was this? I think it was an eternity ago. So I really don't know how long an eternity is. It's bigger than my pay grade, okay? So, eons ago. The Lord God decided to save whomever and whoever He wanted to save. He didn't ask you. He didn't ask me. So what we're going to look at for just a moment, we're going to look at a few scriptures, and I want you to catch the heart of God, okay? Because everybody tells you what God's like. Let's let the scriptures tell us what the heart of God is on the subject of grace. How about that one? What, what about that thought? So I want to just read a few. And I love this first one. He says, he introduces himself to Moses. I will be gracious 
to whom I will be gracious. Repeated in Romans 9. So whether you agree with him on the day of judgment, I would keep silent. If he lets somebody through the door and you say, I object, I would recommend you don't say that. Because he will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. Amen? And he will be merciful to whom he will be merciful. Numbers 14, 21. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Well, he doesn't literally mean it that way. I love it when people tell me that the Bible doesn't literally mean what it says. Don't you? Luke chapter 2 verse 10. I, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to a lot of the people. But actually it doesn't say that. It will be to all. How can that be? In Luke 19 verse 10 it says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who's in that group? Yeah. Yeah, and then John three sixteen. I bet you know this one. For God so loved the church. Interesting, isn't it? It's funny how we almost see it that way. It, 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 why do we do that? I don't know. But it is interesting that we do it. How about this one? John twelve thirty two. If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw the church to myself. John twelve verse forty seven. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the church. Acts three verse twenty one. The restoration of some of the stuff. Interesting, isn't it? You, you, you begin to think maybe that the way I'm actually reading it is the, almost the way he thinks, but it's not the way he thinks. Because if we read it the way he thinks, then we begin to catch his heart. Where is his heart on this subject? What, what's the heart of God on the subject of grace? In Romans 5 and verse 18, the free gift of God came to all. Resulting in justification and life. Hmm. All? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ all shall be made alive. I'm sure those are just typos. Ephesians 1 and verse 10. He might gather together in one all things in Christ. Things that are in heaven, things that are in earth, things under the earth. Interesting. Ephesians 1, verse 10. Philippians 2, 10. That every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 3, 21. He is able even to subdue all things, all things to himself. Colossians 1, and verse 20. He seeks to reconcile all things to himself. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. Desires all men to be saved. 1 Timothy 2 6. He himself is a ransom for all. 1 Timothy 4 verse 10. He is the savior of all. Hebrews 1 verse 2. The son is the heir of all 
things. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 John 2 verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. So, you know, I'm not telling you I know all that God's going to do. But I do believe that sometimes we don't give God enough credit on the subject of grace. That God may be more gracious than we've imagined, and that makes us uncomfortable. We're, especially if we're a legalistic tendency, which I have to admit that I am. As a recovering Pharisee, it's, it's difficult for me to swallow some of what God's in God's heart. My prejudice, my pride prevents me from just listening sometimes. It's okay if you don't get it. I'm a country boy. I ain't got it yet. (laughs) Uh, But maybe I'll laugh later. You know what I mean? I'm hoping I'm going to laugh later. Uh, Allow the scriptures to speak to me, but it's hard to get it. It's hard to get it, especially when you're engrossed in what you've already preconceived. I want to look at four concepts today, and it's, we're just going to read the scripture. How's that? I'm going to read some scripture. Maybe you can just listen to it. Okay? And gather the, the central thought. Limitless grace is by election, not by a reward for the works you performed. Now, I didn't say that. It's not from me. Let's just let it. Speak. We won't read it all. Verse 5 of Romans 11. For even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, there's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, there's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. It's an elect decision God made. Uncomfortable as that makes us feel. That is the truth. Second truth. Limitless grace is by failure. Not by reward for your works. It is because of failure. There's no need of grace if there's not failure. Romans 11, just beginning verse 12. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure, talking about the Jews, their failure, riches for the Gentiles. Follow what he's saying. The reason you're saved today, Mr. Gentile, the reason you're saved today, Mrs. Gentile, is because the Jews dropped the ball. And they kill the Son of God. I follow it now. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? You may not get this. You may need to read this several times. I highly recommend you read this several times. I have not got time to explain this right now. Verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy 
those who are my flesh, talking about his fellow Jews, and save some of them. Now listen to verse 15. But if they're being cast away, is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? At any rate, grace is from failure. It's of absolute fact. Number three, limitless grace is by faith, not by reward for works that we do. And he makes this point beginning verse 20. We won't read 20 through 27. Just read, spot read a little bit here. He says, starting kind of after the first word, because the last two, the first two words of verse 20 actually fit with the clause before. But verse 20, he goes on to say, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Talking about the Jewish people. And you stand by faith. So why do you stand, Mr. Gentile, Mrs. Gentile? You stand by faith. I thought you stood because you accepted the gospel and did everything. That's true, but that's not what he's emphasizing here in his point is. It's not because you did something great. It's because you actually believed. Do not be haughty, but fear. Don't start thinking we're better than they are. Fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. You know, the church could be thrown aside if he chose. That's right, if he chose. Verse 22, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fail. Severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Remember now, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Right? He gets to pick. Not you, not me. It's not my call. I can't just say he's got to. It's his choice. Verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. So it's all about belief, unbelief, faith, no faith, right? It's about faith. That's the truth. Limitless grace is based upon faith, not based upon works you did that you now deserve to go to heaven. Fourth truth, limitless grace is by sovereignty. The sovereign God deciding to. Not by reward for works that we do. That's what he's teaching here. Verse 28, concerning the gospel, they, talking about the Jewish people, his own people. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. If they weren't enemies, you'd be in trouble. But concerning the election, whoa, we're back to the election. Yeah, this is a decision of God, the sovereign God. Concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Not because they were so good, they sinned and turned their back. But I made a promise to Abraham. That's what he's saying. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That means that God can't say... I'm going to do this for you and fail. And it also means that if I say you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven. Because God isn't like me. I don't know what the future is. Okay? I don't know it. I can't control what you're going to do, what I'm going to do. I'm not in his camp. But God decides stuff. It's decided. 
That's the way it is. Verse 30, for as you were once disobedient to God, you really need to listen to the last little bit of this because this means things that I don't have time to explain. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. So the reason you're saved today is somebody else chose to walk away. Verse 31, even so, these also have now been disobedient that through your mercy shown you they also may obtain mercy. God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Who can God choose to have mercy on now since he's provided the salvation through Christ Jesus? Anyone he chooses, but the way he decides to choose. That's it. That's the truth. And that may not make you feel all good all under, but if you really get it, I think it will make you feel good all under because I think that's great news. It's just really good news. You see, uh, limitless grace, it's by election, not by my works. It is by failure, not by my success. It's by faith, not by my works. It's by sovereignty of God, not by man's works. So he decided to save whomever he wanted to save. And he did that long, long, long ago. Exodus thirty-three nineteen. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Quoted Romans nine fifteen. This is not a side concept in the scriptures. Listen to me. This is the concept. If you understand this, you'll die for it. If you don't understand it, you're sitting there wondering, when am I going to shoot Rex? Good news. He will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. He wants them all. Isn't that good news? 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable or unspeakable gift. He's made a provision. If you'll accept it. It's unlimited grace. But you have a choice to accept it. That's such good news because that is the gospel. All right, let me give you an example. I'll give you a couple of stories here, and then I'll close. Uh, Jeffrey Le- Zaslow wrote a book called Tell Me All About It back in 1990. He tells about his dad. His dad coached this little uh, baseball team of eight-year-olds. They had a lousy year. They lost every single game. They were in the last game of the year. And a little boy that had never played baseball before, did not know the rules of baseball, had never hit a baseball and never caught a baseball. Every time he got out, he got up, he struck out. A ball came past him, it went past him. He didn't catch anything. He comes to bat and he hits it. And he gets a single and he goes to first base. The crowd's going wild. They are just one run behind, and now they're almost, they're even with them. It's one to nothing, they're tied up. They might actually win this game. And after he goes to first base, their power hitter, their slugger comes to the bat, and he gets a good hit. The guy on first base runs to second. But he doesn't know the rules of baseball. And the ball comes past him. 
And he grabs it. And it's the first time he's ever caught a ball. And he is now out. Okay? He doesn't get to second base. He is out. And the game's over. And the other team wins. And the coach, his dad, Zaslow's dad says, Cheer! And the boys cheered. And the crowd cheered for the little boy. He never knew he messed up. His mom and dad thanked his dad for doing that. For cheering at that moment. You know what that is? That's you and me. We do a few good things. And God is a good father. He goes, well done. Good and faithful servant. We think we won the game. We lost the game. But it doesn't matter. He finds us good enough because of his own goodness. And sometimes, you know, we think, well, I think I get this. I think God could be gracious. But then, all of a sudden, when God salutes us, It scares us to death. If he salutes me for good works, I get confused. And suddenly I think it's my good works that saved me. Or I don't really believe in limitless grace. And now I'm scared to death. I'm going to go to hell anyway. And I live my life believing, but not really believing that I'm going to be saved. Scared of God. T.H. White, in a book called The Book of Merlin, wrote this. He's an English anecdotalist. He said, My father made me a wooden castle one day, big enough to get into. He fixed real pistol barrels beneath its battlements to fire a salute on my birthday. But he made me sit in front of it the first night to receive the salute. And I... Believing I was to be shot, cried. He's made me a castle. He wants to salute me. And I think he wants to shoot me. God doesn't want to shoot you. Have we interpreted the Lord's salute expecting to be shot? And then when we hear about grace, we're dumbfounded by it. That can't be true. It's impossible. I don't deserve it. Well, you're right about that part. You don't deserve it. Julia Johnson wrote what we sang earlier. Way back in the early 1900s. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Freely bestowed. On all who believe. God's heart of grace as he bids you to claim it. Now, remember, I said he will save whomever he will. And he can do that. But what he told us to do is to receive it and to respond accordingly. He told us how to respond. So we respond accordingly. He told us to believe. He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. That's what he said. Acts 2.38, what were they told to do? Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. 
So that's what he's called us to do. But then if you're not careful, if you do it, you suddenly think you've done something. And you really haven't. You've just responded. But it is of grace. And you can respond to it. And he's called you that. And he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And I'm so grateful for that. Because that probably means something that I struggle to believe. And that is that he wants me in heaven worse than I want to go there. Because he's certainly put in a lot more effort into it than I have. I died for my sins. I didn't live a perfect life. He's after me. He's after you. If you can receive it, then you can accept it and respond to it. In belief, repentance, baptism. You can respond to it and go to church and live your life for it. You can respond to it and all the time humbly accept if it is limitless grace. Then I can never, ever deserve it. It's all of Him. And we should be rejoicing in that. Amen? It should be a point of worship. So maybe this lesson means this to you. Praise God! How could he save me? Praise God. But he did just the same. So maybe the invitation is an invitation to you to worship him more appropriately. Whatever you need, let us know as we stand and as we sing.